0: LGBTQ Americans simply aren't saving enough for retirement.
1: This is The Focus Group. It's the savvy side of 9 to 5. Listen. Bueller.
0: Bueller. Bueller.
1: Laugh. (laughs) And learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is The Focus Group with Tim Bennett. S-T-A-U-N-C-H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business except when we're not Hey
0: welcome to the focus group John Nash here with my good friend and co-host Mr. Tim Bennett find us every Wednesday on Facebook and YouTube live from 1 to 2 p.m East and of course you could always check us out at focusgroupradio.com which is where we have all our audio and video and our partners and sponsors and information about me and Tim. So welcome to the I want to say it's the penultimate week of July. The next no, I, 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 is that right? <laughs> it's close though. We're getting close, right? Getting
2: close. I um, I had to tell you, I I, I almost wanted to wear Depends today for the show because I told earlier in the week if you listened to Unbuttoned, I talked about drinking a gallon of water a day, and it's hitting
0: me. <laughs> so, do you need to run away like when I do? Well, uh, I
2: thought maybe we would need an extra break to throw in here or something, but deep um, discount or something. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. And uh, and I liked your tease in the front. So in Shop Talk, we'll talk about that LGBTQ retirement thing. That seems to be a big topic of conversation.
0: You know, retirement is a a perennial conversation that most people, um, depending on your age, like when did you come to the realization that you had to start putting away money? Was it in your 20s or 30s? You know, I have to thank a... um, so when I was working in corporate America,
2: when I could actually make enough money that I could buy buy a decent uh, <laughs> buy groceries and also pay the rent, the um when I worked for the the first corporation that had a 401k sharing plan or a uh, a retirement plan, the um one of the guys that worked with me was very savvy, he was our age, he was a contemporary, but he said, put it hey said, he said, Hey, the company's offering this matching thing if you put money into retirement. You should do it. And I was concerned. I couldn't even pay. I had student loans to pay. I had car payments. I mean, we had a lot of expenses getting, getting out of school, right? Just getting your, your feet, uh, feet wet. But I did save a little bit each month. And then I did uh, take his advice. And probably when I was in my late 20s, started saving. And I'm so thankful I did. I saved for, the re- for retirement. Um, not that I'm any, you know, I, I think I'm far further ahead than most people that we're friends with. Um, just because I started so young, but, um, but it's, I, I, I tell my nieces, I tell everybody if you can, even if it's 25 bucks a week, 20 bucks a week, five bucks a week, save something and put it into retirement.
0: We we talked about this on a couple of shows ago, the nine rules of, uh, like financial finite, nine financial tips that this father gave his daughter or his kid. I wasn't sure if it was a right. son or a daughter, but one of them was save, 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 because when you have savings, you can get through a bad patch you can have a car repair if something happens with the house i mean so that's one level then you throw on top of that the the idea of saving for retirement which is a little a little diffuse when you're in your 20s and even in your 30s you're like i'm not going to need that till i'm in my 60s or 70s and suddenly plenty of time plenty of time suddenly you're in your (laughs) 60s or 70s right yeah Um,
2: yeah, so that's uh, so we'll we'll talk about that later on. How was uh, are are you keeping yourself uh, keeping yourself hydrated? Then it's been awful. awful hydrated warm here and busy, and my
0: I, my latest challenge is just trying to stay. You know, I used to visit the gym at least three times a week, and sometimes it was a yoga class, sometimes it was weight training, and the challenge is how do you replace that? You can. You could. You could invent a program for yourself. You could do push-ups. I, I, I think I told you I bought a kettlebell. My 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 old trainer said you need yeah. one, and here's the weight, and here's what you got to do. But you got to do it. You just got to do it. You got to set it up. It just feels different to me to do it on the back porch or the patio. I'm like, okay, I'm doing my exercises, but I really should be in a gym surrounded by other people inspiring me. <laughs> God bless you, Mr. Nash.
2: Yeah, you, you chase. Chasing your chasing 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 your dream. Well, <laughs> out there doing your
0: I doing do your notice, yoga and
2: all your exercises and everything's closed.
0: I do notice that my bike riding improves when I do my exercising, and certainly my uh, posture and everything else improves when I do my yoga. And it doesn't look like gyms are going to be back anytime soon, unless you're in a state, uh, unless you're down in some of the southern states, which are now experiencing some problems. But up by us, I don't I don't hear anything about opening again. Do you?
2: No, I in Pennsylvania, they did open, um, but it's uh, by reservation in some cases, uh, depending on the gym and um, like a studio. You know, it's yeah. But there's been some positive news about uh, some possible treatments coming on. So hopefully I I just wonder and we've talked about this, too, from a, a standpoint of people working at home. I just wonder whether things will ever be back to the way they were. In other words, if we find a treatment or we find a vaccine, everything just flips right back off. Do they take down the plastic barricades? Do you stop sanitizing the shopping carts? Do you just go back to uh, packing a stadium and going to a concert and heading to the gym?
0: Big question, right? I mean, it's going to depend on whether they have a therapeutic and a therapeutic and a vaccine or one or the other. But yep. I think it's going to take a while to get back to what it was beforehand. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> yep. All right. I'm going to queue up. What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and so John You're found. on, Mr. Bennett. What caught your eye? So this, uh, I saw this and I,
2: I so I'll, I'll caveat caveat this. I think I might have talked about this one time. If I haven't, it's something you should do. The um, There's a tradition that the president, the, the current occupant of the White House, unveils the official portraits of the president and first lady or the president and their spouse. And someday hopefully we have a have a female president. But um, and so the and it's a it's one of the few things that is very nonpartisan and just makes you feel good about being an American. And if you want to watch two people that were diametrically opposed politically, but watch the Obama, uh, Michelle and Barack Obama, Unveil the portraits for the Bush family, for George and Laura Bush, and the families are there. And it really makes you feel very good, good about the country. Unfortunately, um, number 45, uh, the current occupant of the White House, is not going to have a formal unveiling for the Obamas, which um, breaks precedent of a long line of of this this sort of thing that happens. There's also a tradition in the White House that the portraits of the most recent American presidents are given the most prominent placement uh, in the White House. So they're um, in the executive mansion. It's visible to guests during all the official events. And they said even most recently when uh, Trump had the president of Mexico in, the pictures of Bill Clinton and uh, George W. are right behind him. And I guess they said this was early July that uh, President Trump didn't necessarily like that. So he decided to move. The portraits of Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, and he put them in what's essentially a room that they're using to store tablecloths and um, an overflow storage in the White House. And nobody can figure out. Everybody just knows that he has a, particularly John Bolton's new book that came out saying that he 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 really despises the Clintons and the Bushes. But the fact that he's moved their portraits now to a place where nobody will see them, because here's another thing: if you dig deeper into it, is it a coincidence? The room they were moved into was a room that Michelle Obama had redone over. And it, it, um, it, ha- it was put on the tour once the Obamas were living in the White House. And she had actually added some contemporary art and added some uh, also modern art and the very first African-American artist, female artist, artworks in there as, as well. It's called the Old Family Dining Room. And the Obamas did use it and put it as part of the tour. And in there, she was able to showcase some more modern art, typical of what you would find in the White House, and also highlight, as I said, this um, this first African-American uh, artist. So when you dig further into this, you see, once again, Trump dismantling everything and anything that the Obamas had anything to do with him trying to, uh, him trying to erase it or pull it apart. And I just thought it was so petty and so small um, for him to do such a thing. And... You know, as the story goes on and on, they said you know, he, they replaced Clinton and Bush with uh, Roosevelt and uh, McKinley, two two Republicans from 100 years ago. And uh, many people just think it was very petty and ridiculous and are just kind of scratching their heads about it. But then when it even went so far as to close the room that Michelle Obama had had remodeled and with private funds raised, by the way, and um, close that room off, uh, you, you just see how petty and small he is. I just thought it was kind of a sad commentary.
0: Well, it's uh, those three um, ex- chief executives represent 24 years of history. And yep. you're just putting them into a spare dining room. It's, uh, hey, there's nothing that surprises me, and it should not surprise anybody. And, you know, someday the ship will get righted, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, so that that, that caught my eye. They showed the picture, and it actually
2: said in the bushes and the Clintons were. They kind of they, they showed the two portraits of of the two presidents, and um, they were looking for commentary. They didn't give any, but the uh, and the White House hasn't commented on it either. But all the reporters certainly have noticed it. So yeah, because um, they used we'll to it's hang just right a, in uh, like it's the just the another one of those or
0: something, right? When you what was one of the first yeah. things you saw was the most recent people. What a shame. Right.
2: And that's been tradition. It's always been that way. It's kind of, they move down the line, yeah. right? It's whoever's next. And the poor just moved down the line, but he's, he's uh, once again broke with tradition, which uh, in this case, I think was kind of yeah, sad. I agree.
0: Mine could not be more different. Uh, what really did it for me was sort of the headline and it's uh tick teens are dressing up as face masked old people to buy booze. <laughs> How could you resist the headline? Right. So um, what's happening is with the mask requirements in many states and municipalities, people are taking advantage of that, notably kids. And according to the New York Post, several recent TikToks, the the video app, have been presumably underage teens giving themselves old age makeovers, putting on wigs or scarves, and wearing face masks (laughs) so they look old enough to buy alcohol and possibly old enough to get the senior discount at Wendy's, although no one's tried that. In a now private video, which was public before, one user went all in on being elderly and used a walker, my favorite part, complete with grandma approved tennis balls on the legs. <laughs> Talk about careful observation when she went into a California store to buy booze. The cashier, she wrote, was worried she wouldn't be able to carry the bottles herself. <laughs> Since everyone is wearing a face masks, all underage shoppers have to do is nail. They all have to really do is nail the rejected golden girl on the top half of their faces. The current face covering requirements really lower the barrier to entry for this one. Several years ago, however, a YouTuber disguised himself as an old man so he could score a bottle of flavored svedka. But his prank involved a five hundred and seventy-five dollar composite effects codger mask. So he actually went out of his way to buy like a a prosthetic and, and do makeup and everything to get in and get the bottle. Some locations are aware of how face masks can be used to skirt or just run right through ID requirements. And so now requiring people to show ID and, or pull the mask down and say, you know, are you really that old? I just think it's kind of crazy, right? (laughs) Well, I was wondering about that because you could, if
2: you had, if you went in there with a ball cap on or some sort of head, you know, headdress or head cap Mm -hmm. or stocking cap, and you have the yet sunglasses on or glasses on and then the face mask, I could see where you could probably pass as being a different age and then so if you did wear some sort of other uh makeup or mask you could probably get away with it. It's
0: awful awful lot to go through to get a bottle of booze, isn't it? Uh, well, yes, but remember being um high school that age, age you know. you're you're at that zone. Well, back when we were younger, I mean, what was legal age was 18, 18, 18. in Connecticut. It's changed a lot since then, right? Some some states yeah. are 20, 21.
2: Uh, you and I didn't really drink. No. And I remember I looked older. I looked older than some of the other kids. And the kids that did used to always try to get me to go buy them booze. <laughs> and uh, I only did it once. <laughs> and I, bought it. I did it for Matt, Matt Donovan, and I forget who the other guy's name was. They sent me in to go get them a six-pack. Ooh. <laughs> so think about it. Beer. I went right. and I got it.
0: Yeah, the first time I, I ever saw a had a some... drink was um, peppermint schnapps. I don't think I will Ugh. ever want to have that again. It was like, did you ever have that? The, the, the flavor, like, like yeah. yeah, some
2: sort of mouthwash on ice. (laughs) (laughs) I saw the cutest picture as a sidebar talking about, you know, all this makeup and masks and stuff and breathing and, and difficulty breathing. They, somebody had posted a picture, one of our, one of our listeners, and they had all these kids lined up. It was from the sixties, sixties or seventies. All these kids lined up in their Halloween costumes with the plastic masks. And you remember as a kid, I don't know if how tough it was to breathe with those because only the little hole for the it was mouth, the, and eyes, the eyes, and, they were and showing then that a little slit for the mouth, or, yeah. Or the flints, right. The Scooby Doo, they were showing all these kids in their old halloween costumes and they said you think you're having trouble breathing remember these (laughs) which i thought was uh
0: i do remember that i remember between houses you'd lift the mask up uh, and it was that cheap elastic it would often snap (laughs) sometimes and then sometimes by the end of the night you just held the mask in front of you and then everybody all the parents at that point were like just take the candy you're you're doing great just
2: take
1: the mask off
0: (laughs) all right i think it's time for
1: everyone does celebrity birthday greetings but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays.
2: So this, uh, you know, it's funny. July seems to struggle with birthdays or business birthdays. Oh, wait, um, wait, wait.
1: Go nine months
0: backward. What's going on nine? Because that's if July babies. Uh, so this would be the seventh. Would it be Thanksgiving? It would be early, no- would be early November. Yeah, I guess people don't Well, Who knows? <laughs> it's just a thought. Yeah. You know. Yeah,
2: it's it's funny to know what goes, what went on around them because there's sometimes we we've got a, an embarrassment of riches for business birthdays. But the last two or three weeks in July have been a little tough. This one I found though, um, guy's name is uh, Eli Alman Colbertson or Eli Colbertson, born born on July twenty second, eighteen ninety-one. He died at sixty-four years old in nineteen fifty-five. He was an American contract bridge entrepreneur and personality, very dominant during the thirties. He played a major role in the popularization of the bridge, of bridge games, and was widely regarded as the man who made contract bridge. He also wrote a number of books. Uh, he was a great showman. They said he became rich, and this is how he earned his living. He had a very rich and uh, extravagant life and uh, lost and gained fortune, uh, fortune several times over by just gambling and and doing these bridge tournaments. He was born in Romania to an American mining engineer. He attended the Sorbonne in Paris. They said he had a great facility for languages. He spoke Russian, English, French, German, Czech, and Spanish fluently. Whoa, 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 whoa. Russian? English, Mm -hmm. French, German, Czech, and Spanish. He spoke fluently. Seven,
0: six, six languages.
2: Right. He had a reading knowledge of an additional five. And he also had knowledge of Latin and classical Greek. And they said, despite of his, him having a great education, he really wasn't, an, and I had to look this up, you probably know what it means, an autodidact. Autodidact. You know what that is?
0: I think that just... I know you're a pretty good SAT guy. Uh, didact, yeah. Auto, I, I think that means like almost photographic memory or he was a really great student or something, but... Um, we said he was self-taught. Yeah that despite
2: having a great education, he really taught himself a lot of these languages. So I just thought that was, that's a pretty, pretty aggressive to, to know that many languages and be competent in another seven and to I read is, is, another is five or whatever. That's yeah.
0: Yeah, amazing.
2: Yeah. So when he, he lived in uh in Paris and, and for four years after the Russian Re- revolution, they said that in 1921, he moved to the United States and he earned his living from winnings at bridge and poker. And I, I, to me, bridge has always fascinated me, and that's kind of why I pulled this. It goes on and on about the different types of bridge. I know nothing about bridge, and but apparently in the in the twenties and thirties, forties, bridge was a huge thing. And if you watch some of the old sitcoms, they're always getting together for bridge. You know, I love Lucy. They're going to play bridge. Um, well,
0: bridge is a I, pairs game. It's very points based, right. and you have to keep track of all the face and, and numbers, right? Like it, There is a lot of thought that goes into playing Bridge. Am I right? Is there strategy too?
2: Oh yeah, no, it's, it's thought, strategy, skill. I've never played it. Have you nope, ever played it all. or
0: tried to play it? I'm showing the picture now that I, you provided of the book that he did for Penguin, Contract Bridge, and I guess right. there's a picture of him getting ready to set sail on um, a, a voyage, and that's his wife with him?
2: Yeah, he was married and then he divorced. She kept his name. She was also a great Bridge player as well. And this is where it got into the weeds. He did Contract Bridge. She did Auction Bridge. It's different ways of counting points. And then there's Rubbers and other things that are terminology that uh, that the bridge players have. But I, I had a lot of friends in college. My grandparents always played different types of card games. And we would visit them in Canada. We'd play with them. And I had a lot of friends in college that played different sorts of card games. I
0: never never really got involved. They used to play something called
2: Euchre. Yeah, I've heard of that. that. Those... Yeah,
0: I, I, I'm I'm with you. Uh, backgammon, chess, a couple other games, but the card stuff, yeah. uh, nah, I kind of didn't, I took a pass.
2: So so aside from him, and then kind of a sidebar, aside from him having, um, being such a prolific bridge player and, and known for that, he owned the very first firm of playing card manufacturers to develop the plastic cards, the cards that have the coating on mm-hmm. them. And, and uh, he also developed and owned a chain of bridge schools where <laughs> it would teach people to be qualified to have bridge tournaments. Can you imagine yeah. now that's, that's right, right up there with the typewriter store now, yep. right? Going to go out of business. And, uh, he wrote a book. One of the last things he did is he wrote a book, which I thought was, would be interesting to read. Now it was written in 1943. It was called, we must fight Russia. I'm sorry, 1947. We must fight Russia. And, uh, it was about all of his knowledge of Russia and, uh, and world peace, and how Russia was a problem. (laughs) So here we are. That was 1947. It's still apparently a problem. So
0: on the heels of uh, the successful conclusion of World War II for the Allies, he was actually advocating go after Russia. Go after Russia, yeah. Isn't that an interesting political position to take, knowing what we now know? (laughs) Right, (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, he what happened was he lost his the last tournament he played. He lost in 1938 and he was done. He never played again because he used to win everything. And the first time he lost a major tournament, he didn't play again. He wrote two books, one called Total Peace, which was published in 1943. And the other one, We Must Fight Russia in 47. I thought it'd be interesting to, uh, to at least see what that said. I bet it would
0: probably shine some light on a lot of things. So I wonder if...
2: Happy birthday to Eli It's Culberson. a great
0: birthday, and I wonder if um, if you could find a copy of it. Would you read it? We Must Fight Russia? You know,
2: I'd probably skim through it. I'd skim through it. It'd be interesting to see what he said. I mean, a, a lot of things, history rep- tends to repeat itself. Oh, right? he'd
0: probably look for and if, give you specific reasons why, as a as a democracy, we should have done that at the end of World War II. Th- he's not the only one. I Wasn't it like... A couple of generals, Patton may even have been one of them. It's like, okay, let's push through because these folks,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: we we took
2: care of, we took care of Germany and Japan. Now let's let's. And I know Russia was on your side for a while, but let's take care mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, no, that was yeah, that was uh, that was advocated. Right? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, that came up a lot. Excellent business birthday. All right, as uh, many of you know, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and we would like to have you. Go to their site by visiting ours. You go to focusgroupradio.com. Click on the Deep Discount logo, which is Sharky, and start your uh, Deep Discount shopping. This week, um, let's see what we got here. We have the sale, which is Women on Screen. And Tim and I could not pick vastly different movies. Oh, my God, Tim, I love what you picked, by the way. So the if you go to Deep Discount, Go to focusgroupradio.com. Click on the deep discount logo. You might want to check out their sale, Women on Screen. So what did you pick?
2: So right on the front page, I, I love a cult movie. And you, you and Bob actually turned, turned me on to a couple of <laughs> cult movies, one being Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, and the other one being Grey Gardens, and which are both cult movies which revolve around these strong females, right? And so this one I saw there, and I just can't believe i never heard of it, um, although you're more of a movie person than I am. The title is Kitten with a Whip. It, it,
0: enough said it's a cult enough said
2: (laughs) what a great what a what a great title it stars Anne margaret and john Forsythe, and uh you can get it at deep discount it was released um earlier this year in 2020 it's uh there's two different ways to get it they uh deep discount is something called manufactured on demand which um can pretty much get you lots of hard to find things so you can get that in the format of um of a dvd but they also have it as a blu-ray both of them are uh the Blu-ray, 1699. The DVD is 1581. But I had to read the description for you just because I thought it was uh, it was so well written. So the title for Kitten with a Whip is Anne margaret and John Forsythe star in Kitten with a Whip, the cult classic that's so hot it sizzles, so jazzy it swings. Jodie Drew, Anne margaret is a sweet, sexy psycho babe on the run from the law. She's escaped from a detention center, stabbed a guard, and burned the place to the ground. David Patton... John Forsythe doesn't know any of this. He's just a senatorial candidate trying to do all the right things. However, Jody makes sure that all the wrong things happen. She twists poor David's life into a knot first threatening him with a rape charge. Then with a little help from her friends, kidnaps him for a Mexican joyride. So that went how from could you watch it? madcap to crazy in one sentence, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: A sweet, sexy psycho babe on the run Kitten with a whip. <laughs>
2: Kitten with a whip. Get at it. Deep discount.
0: Well, mine couldn't be more different because it's a romance comedy. Com- rom-com, uh-huh. I guess is what we put it. And it's the original uh, version of Sabrina. Now, I discovered Sabrina or found out about the movie when it was a movie by with starring Harrison Ford and Greg Kinnear as these two brothers. And so I'll give you a – but in the original, it's Humphrey Bogart and um, Audrey Hepburn. So it's a Billy Wilder film. We know he's a great comedic director. Billy Wilder helmed and co-wrote this spry romantic comedy starring Audrey Hepburn as Sabrina Fairchild, the shy daughter of the wealthy Larrabee family's chauffeur, she returns from a trip to Paris, transformed into a beautiful and elegant young woman. She catches the attention of both the Blue Blood Clan's sons, workaholic Linus Humphrey Bogart and carefree playboy David William Holden, who some of you know from Sunset Boulevard and many movies. Walter Hampton plays her husband, um, the, the chauffeur, or sorry, her father, and John Williams also stars. It's, um, it's a really delightful film, and if you know the remake, the one I mentioned with Harrison Ford and um, uh, Greg Kinnear and the whole crowd. Then I think you'll really love the original Black and White because Audrey Hepburn's fantastic and Humphrey Bogart's amazing. Uh, both movies are fun, but if you haven't seen Sabrina, the original Black and White, it's only nine dollars and ten cents on Blu-ray from Deep Discount. You can't go wrong. So we got so far. We got Kitten with a Whip. <laughs> Sabrina. <laughs>
2: sabrina what was the release this
0: week uh the new release oh my god i am so excited for this okay everybody listening if you have not watched the movie show girls you may it's been ranked as one of <laughs> you the. you love yeah, that it's movie. been ranked as one of the worst movies ever made we think it's one of the best <laughs> and i, I actually one of the worst. so it was released and then several years later it came out kind of like they would do rocky horror picture show it was a midnight showing at a theater in the city and we went we Our mouths hung open the entire time. It's Paul Verhoeven. It's like, so now there's a documentary called You Don't Know Me because the main um, character is named Nomi. And almost from the moment it landed in theaters with a resounding thud, Paul Verhoeven's glossy and explicit (laughs) 1995 Vegas melodrama Showgirls carved its niche as one of Hollywood's most notorious financial and critical flops. In the quarter century that followed, the roundly dismissed film found an Afterlife as a fervent cult favorite, and this roushous documentary appreciation examines the phenomena of its revival while making a case for its belated serious artistic consideration. I watched a clip from the um, a trailer for this movie, You Don't Know Me. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, we literally just saw Showgirls about a week ago. Uh, have you seen it? You know, you, I've not,
2: oh, and I damn. need to get a, get damn.
0: a, get a DVD off to order that because a recommendation? you've mentioned it a bunch of times and I, I've never seen yeah, it. I'm going to recommend that you and, uh, Richard and Carl and Mark, you guys socially distance in front of a big TV, put on show girls. I guarantee you, you will be the hit of the show because ask those guys if they've seen it. You have to find out.
2: I don't think I don't think they have. I've asked Richard. I know he hasn't. So, is it just so bad it's good? Yes. Is yes. That the...
0: Oh my god. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. There's a famous scene where this showgirl named Crystal Connors and um, Nomi. Played by Elizabeth Berkeley are sitting in the seat. You know the Forum, the Apian Way. at Caesar's with the the ceiling right. that changes tonight, and they're sitting at a restaurant and they're drinking Cristal because the main character named herself after Cristal Champagne. And she's one of them. She says, "You know, I, it's, it's, I've been so desperate, I ate doggy chow for dinner." And Elizabeth Berkley's like, "I've eaten doggy chow too. I love it. I mean, who wrote that? Right? And how could you not love it?" Uh, there you go, right?
2: <laughs> so head over to focusgroupradio.com. Click on the deep discount logo because we like to get credit. And uh, you'll be able to own your passion. And uh, you can select Kitten with a Whip. And you can uh, see what's your other one, John Sabrina? Sabrina, yeah. And then in the, the new release this week, I don't have my, my note in front of you. You was, don't uh, know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. So in many cases, you'll save up to 55% retail with the women on screen sale right now going on. So head over again to Deep Discount and uh, start shopping away and own your passion and get some great, great media out there. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have a little shop talk where we talk about uh, savings and retirement and particularly as it affects the LGBT community. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Focus on the savvy side of 9 to 5 with The Focus Group. Try, really try. Listen, laugh, and learn with Tim and John.
0: I never try anything. I just do it. You know, I'm still getting the hang of this. I think I turned myself down, then I turned it back up. But what I was saying before was um, that last clip came from uh, Fast Pussycat Kill Kill, another classic women on film that you have to see. All right, so at the top of the show, we teased an article um, that we both uh, came across. And the headline reads, uh, LGBTQ American savings are simply smaller due to discrimination. So it was an interesting look at where many LGBTQ Americans are in the in the stream of things, depending on their age and when they might have started to save. But the article also looked at some systemic barriers that might have prevented some of, in the community from actually putting together an a- adequate retirement plan. Um, I think this is a trigger for a broader conversation like we started at the top of the hour, though, which is this idea of saving for this elusive thing down the road. And in many cases with the LGBTQ community, many people um, are single. And if they have been together, um, they may not commingle their finances. And marriage was only an option of uh, up, up the last four or five years. And, and that was one of the huge things about that decision was the ability to shield uh, and to protect assets the way a married couple does legally. You know, from the right. from the tax perspective, so I think there's been a lot of impediments to a, an LGBTQ American gaining the same type of retirement um, comfort level or amount in the bank that uh, non LGBTQ people have can do. Do you agree with that uh, kind of assessment?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. The one the one issue I had about this is that it it it, um the story seemed to wander in a couple places but they talked about discrimination they talked about how people may be treated differently or earnings may have been handled differently particularly with an older lgbtq population that didn't necessarily either get a chance to age or didn't age um publicly but what i thought was uh the takeaway for me and i don't know we talked about statistics so i don't know if you pulled this out of here or not but it says three in 10 LGBTQ Americans say saving for retirement was a top financial concern. So that shocked me. Are you shocked by that? That three in 10? Um... Because it's only 30%. So I, I put in, a, in the parentheses, here. are not very concerned. So 70% are not concerned about saving for retirement. I thought that was, to me, I thought that was kind of shocking. And I thought maybe people are just going to, think they can live off of social
0: security or
2: other sorts of savings or something. I don't do, know. Do you think? I thought that number was somewhat do you low. Think that, I don't know how they're comparing. I was going
0: to say, do you think that um, the three in 10 tracks to the general population in, in terms of how know. people feel about um, saving and about, you know, what this all means for the future? Well, I think
2: had you been the journalist, you might've asked that <laughs> question and added that in the article, <laughs> but that's what I thought was the, the the missing piece here. It's like, okay, is this, Typical then is that thirty percent of the U.S. population concerns concerns themselves with retirement, or is this, or is it really only five percent of the U.S. population concerns themselves? And so for the LGBT community, thirty percent is a great number. To me, just reading it, I thought it's not a very great number, but maybe comparatively, it's either on par or it's lower high. I didn't know. That was my big question about this, about this
0: uh, article. Well, the article I think could have done. Better service by answering that kind of statistic and or holding up our community next to the general population to say, here are some of the disparities and here's why they may exist. But just to, I agree with you, I mean, and in fact, before we came on the, the air today, we were both talking about this article and how it was a little light on. Detail, because this is there. There are real fundamental issues that face LGBTQ Americans in terms of housing discrimination uh, and certainly job discrimination. And up until what, a few weeks ago, until it took the Supreme Court to finally say, you know, Title VII applies to sexual orientation, you could be fired. You could still be fired in a number of states for for being LGBTQ. So that's right. a lot of workers primary safety net is a 401k match or in the past it was pension plans so this is yeah I so the two things we want to know does the three and ten follow through to the general population um and let's say the general let's say the general population's four and ten or it's pretty close that's an astoundingly right. small amount of people who are giving actual thought to their 65 to 80 something, right? Right. Well, we had when we had
2: Jeff Yeager on the world's um, biggest cheapskate, he had talked about financial planning and, and how he and his wife had, go, had uh, visited with a financial planner and they said, Oh, you're going to need X amount in retirement. And he's like, No, we won't because of the way they live. And I think the, the issue here is either people feel that they're going to just be okay. Based upon Social Security or other savings, or maybe real estate, or something else, or inheritance. The big, the big piece that you and I struggle with in all of this, and, and that my friends talk about because we live it every month, is healthcare.
0: Yeah, the the premium.
2: We have no idea what healthcare is going to cost us. Yeah. Right. I mean that could bank that bankrupts a lot of people.
0: A typical couple here in the Northeast who wants to use, let's say, Oscars the company or no, choose, choose the company. You know the bronze silver gold we've talked about this before right. a silver plan for a married couple in fairly good health around their you know mid fifties could be fourteen to sixteen hundred a month with a six thousand a dollar deductible per individual. That's a lot of money right. right well, look how I got
2: socked when i had my my back oh my surgery God, i I, I I pay these you know premiums of six hundred plus a month we pay um oh, yeah. I had to put down a, a, a deductible. This, 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 and this, and so it was not a cheap operation yeah. for me. And fortunately, I could afford it, and I needed I needed it for my health. But then I got socked with a sixty eight hundred dollar bill <laughs> because I had to end up staying over the night in the hospital, unplanned. which was not unplanned. my choice yeah. and unplanned. And I got socked because I didn't get pre approval for it. I was under anesthesia. We didn't even get pre approval for it. You know, had I known that, I had a Richard drag me out in the hospital bed and take me home and wake up at home. <laughs> get a gurney. Save get the 6800 bucks. <laughs> I still get angry about that. I, I, it, it aggravates me. I can see why people get so upset about health care. But I think healthcare plays a huge part into, into what's going to happen with us in the, in the future. Um, anybody uh, in retirement, and if we don't get our, our health care figured out. It certainly
0: out. plays a huge role in people choosing career and job and relocation because this theory that the company is going to pay for anything. Now, given the event that we're experiencing with the high levels of unemployment, I think I read from the department of labor recently that given the number of people that have been furloughed and in furloughs case, you still hold your benefits, but laid off in general, there will be more people not on a company's plan in the coming months than there were beforehand. And that's a flip that's bound to cause a lot of trouble. Um, and, and when you are looking at your family finances and everybody's feeling healthy, you're like, do you want to forego it for a month or two? It literally is, at least the way we're told, it's literally rolling the dice to say, I'm not going to do healthcare, yep. right?
2: No, very much. The, uh, the one positive in this article though, I, I thought in, in, uh, in our former, our former iteration of the show, we used to have a segment with Wells Fargo with the uh, specialists who specialized in, in um, financial advising for the gay and lesbian community. But they said that there's so many more financial advisors now who can actually accommodate and have the conversation with same sex couples about retirement and what that looks like and what it could look like. And uh, people are a lot more savvy now to have those conversations with, with uh, the LGBTQ um, um, retirees or people that plan to retire and set up retirement funds. Have you ever talked to a, advisor that specialized, or do
0: you just, your advisor knows uh, enough, I guess, in New York, you, you enough? You totally hit the nail on the head. You know, someone said to me one day, you know, why why New York? Well, if you go back to when we graduated college, and if you knew you were gay and you wanted to live, a, you know, at, at least not over, always looking over your shoulder, and by the way, New York in the the 80s and 90s, or the late 80s, early 90s, there, there was still the danger of coming out or losing your job because of it, but it was a far more accommodating place. And I never hesitated when we met with our first financial, or actually the guy we're still using, to basically say, here's the deal. And he never even blinked. He's like, okay, you have special needs because you can't get married we're going to set things up this way you got to do this this and this to protect each of yourselves in case something happens so there was a higher level of sophistication in dealing with lgbtq couples um right i can't imagine if you're in some other part of the country that might not have been the same but nowadays i think there's a lot more sensitivity and a lot more training that banks do for that right
2: yeah very much so And and just even if you were just a a, a couple that wasn't married but you wanted to plan, and, and you were going to retire together. I, 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 as as you know, there's a there's a whole different level of of conversation that needs to take place and protections. Because even before you and you and Bob got married, you had to have legally have a number of of things drawn up so that you were both protected, yeah. right? Yep.
0: Yep. Which all which went is, out the door when is, you're married because it's just under the thing of marriage, right? Even something as simple as calling a bank to saying I have to close an account. Well, what's your relationship to the person? I'm their partner. It has to be. There has to be a legal th- document saying that you are you are capable of closing an account or something. That that's just one of those little things you have to do, right?
2: Right. Did and um,
0: and you know, fortunately, again, you were you were smart enough to uh,
2: smart enough to do that. But do, do you think so? Just as a, without getting into any numbers or whatever, do is that a concern? Do you think you have enough, or you're prepared? You'll be prepared for when you retire, or if you ever retire. They say sometimes entrepreneurs never retire.
0: I. Th- I'm hoping we'll have enough, but you already, you already hit it on the head earlier when you said healthcare, that's even my advisor says they, they're, they're no longer even trying to project what those costs are. It's a big moving target. And as the population ages, you know, there's going to be more healthcare necessities. Yeah. So I, I, I'm hoping, um, you know, that we have enough. I'm pretty sure we do when I compare the numbers to the rest of America. <laughs> you know, you ever you've done that. You've looked at the average retirement savings for most Americans is like sixty four thousand dollars or thirty six. So it's it's something that just like, whoa, how long do you think that's gonna last?
2: Yeah, but it, it's um, you know, and some people do make it last so if you're careful with it and you know what you're doing, but um so but uh, it's something good to think mm-hmm. about and everybody yep. should always always think about saving, as we said earlier on. Even if it's a few bucks a month or uh, a few bucks a year, put put it toward retirement. It's going to be helpful. So, hey, we want to thank you all for joining us uh, here this week on the Focus Group. Be sure to go to focusgroupradio.com. You can find all of our media there, both in audio and broadcast format. We want to thank our friends at Deep Discount. Head over to Focus Group Radio as well and click on the Deep Discount logo. Right now, there's a woman on screen sale going on. I picked Kitten with a Whip. John picks Sabrina. And the new release this week is You Don't Know Me. We hope everyone is having a great summer. They're staying cool. And remember, if you're out there driving, don't text and drive. Arrive Alive. And we'll see you next week.
1: It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.